You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. A number of years ago, we heard a story about a a, a boy and his mother the boy, being a typical little boy, wasn't as cooperative and obedient as he should have been. And like most mothers, she ended up coming up with a cue that told him she was at the end of her rope. This is what she wanted it done. And so she would ask him, for example, to pick up his room, and he would diddle-dally, refuse, ignore her, all those kind of things. And finally, she would blurt out, Will you, won't you, ain't you gonna? If I coach you, won't you wanna? Oh, come on, you said you would. Why don't you pick up your room? <laughs> and when she got to the point where she said, Will you, won't you, ain't you gonna? If I coach you, won't you wanna? Oh, come on, you said you would. Why don't you pick up your room? He knew she was serious. <laughs> and he would pick up his room. The boy grew up and became a Christian. The mother did not, however. And even though that he had many, frequently shared the gospel message with her over the years, she was always changing the subject and ignoring her. She later became ill and to the point where they thought maybe she was going to die from the illness. And he would visit her in the hospital, and as, he, as a good son does, and he would share different things with her. But he'd always try to bring it around to the gospel, share her with her about Jesus. And she would always ignore him, change the subject, say she was tired, have some reason why she couldn't do it. And so one day, out of just frustration, he just blurted out, Will you, won't you, ain't you gonna? If I coach you, won't you wanna? I'll come on, you said you would. Why don't you want to talk about Jesus? And when he said that, she knew he was serious. And for the first time in many years, they had a serious conversation about Jesus. And a short time later, she accepted Christ. We all have cues sometimes to tell others that we're serious. Is there cues, there are things we can do to tell God, yeah, we're serious? Are there ways we can say, in essence, hey God, I'm really, really serious about this particular thing? We've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel according to Matthew, and we're in chapter 6. Uh, what, what we know is chapter 6. It's one long message. Jesus didn't speak in chapters. It's divided up so that we can follow along. Actually, it's very pragmatic. But he goes through the message and he shared a bunch of stuff. And, and he has a turning point in different themes through the message. And, and in, in verse, the first verse of chapter 6, he begins a new, what we would call a section or a new emphasis with them. And he says, he gives them a warning, gives us a warning. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. He's giving his disciples and us as his disciples a warning. Don't do things to be seen by men. And he, he names this thing, it's kind of weird, and Josh has touched on it, but these practices of righteousness, not a phrase we use very often, even in the church today. What, what does he mean by that? When we think of the word righteous, often we think of our right standing before God, and we should. But is that what Jesus is saying? Well, the word righteous, or the understanding of righteousness in the, in the Bible, particularly the New Testament, has two basic meanings to it. One is moral standing, or right standing, particularly before God. And the other one is, 
is um, the right behavior we should, we should do. So the, the moral standing, what we know as righteousness, is, is things, for example, in Romans 3 where Paul says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is, this is what we know as justification, our righteous standing before God. When God sees a believer's life and says, are they in the right or in the wrong? He only sees Christ's righteousness as our righteousness. And therefore, we are always righteous in God's sight, in His standing. But this is not what Jesus is talking about. It's not clearly how He's using the Word. It's not the context of what He's saying. The other one is right behavior. And that's what Jesus has been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. It's our kingdom values, the Gospel values. How are they lived out? How do they actually shape the way we live and do things? And how are they expressed in our behavior? And we've seen this over and over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the peacemakers and the merciful. Uh, We are the light of the world. Our behavior... Uh, he talks about our behavior with regard to anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, loving our enemies. Those are all things that have to do with our hearts, but they also all have to do with our behaviors. And that's what Jesus has been saying. We've looked at all those over the past couple weeks and months. This idea that doing right things, doing the right things, acts of righteousness, is part of actually the gospel should not be foreign to us. For example, choose two simple examples of of, of that we can look at many, is in Ephesians 2, the great passage of a summary of the Gospel, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. And that's what we normally think of, we're in righteousness in Christ. But he goes on in the next verse. Why, why is that all true, Paul? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So part of the gospel message is that we are, we're not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. There's things for us to do. And the same with in 1 John. John says in his letter, he says, And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he, if you know that he is righteous, speaking of Jesus, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So he's saying if we know that we have a relationship with the righteous Christ, then the only thing that makes sense is that we would behave in a way that demonstrates that righteousness, that demonstrates that we really believe the gospel. And then what Jesus said, he gave, so Jesus gave that warning, beware of doing your acts of righteousness, those good works, those good things you should be doing. And he lists three. He only lists three. There's more, there's more, but he lists three, Jesus does. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, he, we've already talked about him, when you give to the needy, not if you give to the needy, he assumes that this is the way, it's a given. You will give to the needy because that's what righteous people do. When you do, do it this way. When you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, do it this way. It's assumed this is what you're going to do. But then the third one in the series is when you fast. Not if you fast, but he's assuming. It's a, it's a given that people who give to the needy and pray, well, surely they fast. And so Jesus says, this is how you to, are to fast. And that's our text for today. Will you stand with me as we read these verses? Only, only a few short verses. This is the, the gospel according to Matthew, his account of the gospel of Christ. And it's his word to the people who read it, but because it's God's word, it's God's word to us. And our, our time. Here are these words. We're going to read Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. 
And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that, uh, that they are fasting when... Uh, begin over. Lost my train of thought. When I'm reading. How's that? That's pretty tricky. <laughs> okay. Royce, read, think later. Okay. Let's try this again. Verse 16 of Matthew chapter 6. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us not only instructions, but your word and your spirit for helping us to understand what you say. Help us, Lord, through the power of your spirit to remove the distractions, the remove even some of the resistance to a message like this, that you would allow us to see what you have for us. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this word. We thank you for this place. And I thank you for this people. We thank you in your precious and glorious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. This text is not complicated. The point of it is, especially after we've already dealt with it for two weeks with other topics, but the point's the same for all three. Don't be hypocrites. Don't be actors. Don't be... Don't be posers. Don't be fakes. Um, he said, Jesus is saying quite simply here, if we fast, in regards to fasting now, if we fast in order to get attention of other people, we will get what we seek. Their attention and recognition. Um, but that is it. That's his point. And on the flip side of this verse, Jesus is saying that if we fast in order to get God's attention... We will get what we seek. God's attention and recognition. In fact, Jesus said that God would reward us. He would reward us. Now, um, in the New Testament, there is no direct mandate. Let me actually back up a little bit. This week, what I want to do is focus on what is fasting. And the reason I want to do that is, is I was talking to Josh and I was talking to Monica about this. And we, we, to my knowledge, we have not addressed directly the discipline of fasting at Red Sea. All the years I've been here, we've never actually talked about it. Have we? No, we haven't. Okay. And yet, at the same time, Jesus in the New Testament assumes that we're all fasting. So we thought maybe it'd be time for us to take a time out and just focus on what is fasting. Okay. So, and then what I'm going to do next week is combine what, what does he mean by you will get a reward? I don't want, because of time, I don't want to be distracted by that. I want to deal with that thoroughly. So next week, I'm going to talk about what does he mean by, and you will get a reward from the Father, and also other things based on another passage. So this week, what is fasting? Next week is, what does it mean we get rewarded when we do those things, okay? That's why I'm going to zero in on that and leave out the second half of Jesus' verse. In the New Testament, um, that does not include a direct mandate that Christians are to fast in a certain way, at a certain day, and a certain specific frequency. It just assumes that they will be fasting. It's fairly open-ended. That they fast is a given, as I've said. But how all the nuances is open-ended. It doesn't get as regimented as we might sometimes like it to be. Fasting to them in the New Testament is just basic Christianity. It's just as basic as giving to others and praying to God. Oh yeah, of course, we also fast. So what is fasting? When we talk about it, and you might be a veteran in here. I don't know of your 
spiritual disciplines, what you do, you, you might be regularly fasting and doing those kind of things. Or this might be like, what is he talking about? I, I'm going to guess that most of us in this room in our day and age tend to lean, lean more on, I might be aware of it, but it's not a regular part of my life. So I'm going to talk assuming that this is kind of new for all of us. And it's a good reminder. If you are someone who fasts frequently, it's a good reminder anyways of why we're doing what we're doing. So what is fasting? For Christians, and I emphasize that, for Christians, the basic definition of fasting is fasting is to voluntarily not eat food for spiritual purposes for a specified period of time. It's it's that simple. When we talk about fasting, fasting on the basic level for Christians, it is voluntarily not eating food for spiritual purposes for a specific set period of time. And there's different kinds of fasts. And we can look through. I'm, not going, to, I'm going to mention them. I'm not going to show you all the references in the Scripture. But there are different kinds of fasts. The normal fast is where we abstain from food, solid food, and we eat, drink liquids, particularly water. That's what normally, when you just say somebody's fasting, that's the emphasis, is that they're fasting, is they're abstaining from solid food for a period of time, a day, a week, whatever it's a period, and they're drinking fluids, usually water or something like that. Um, but then there's also partial, what's called partial fast. Partial fast is just like what it sounds, is you're, you're abstaining from certain types of food or certain amounts of food, again, over a specific period of time. And um, it could be that you're not going to eat any solid food, but you will eat all, you drink all sorts of other kinds of liquids, like water, coffee, juice, broth, the other things that would we consider maybe food, but liquid foods you would have. Or you might just only eat vegetables and liquids, but no meat, no grains, and that kind of stuff. Or it might be just abstaining from foods you love. Uh, you abstain from the pleasure of the palate. I was talking to some guys in March, they're church planting, and they were for a month fasting together as a team, and they had the same month that they were going to fast, but they had different fasts. One of them was fasting from no food for one month, only liquids. And uh, so what he did to gear up for that, for the two weeks previous to that, he kept have, reducing the amount of food he ate, and then when he got to the start date, no more solid food. But he would drink liquids, water, uh, juice, fruit juice was big, Gatorade, uh, beer, it's a liquid, it worked. Um, so if it was a liquid, he wouldn't drink smoothies because it's, that's just mushy food. Um, so, but he was very limited. Another guy in his team, though, said, I'm not doing that kind of fast. What I'm going to do is eliminate all the things I really like and crave, and I'm going to have an extremely predictable, bland diet for this time. So he got rid of the beer and the desserts, and anything that he like, oh, I really love eating that, it was off the menu for a month. So there's, my point being, there's different kinds of fasting, as long as there's intentionality here. Um, the, uh, then there's absolute fast. An absolute fast is no food, no water, no liquids, no nothing for a set period of time. And um, usually it's not for very long. Um, uh, we do know that that happens at times, a number of times. The biggest one that I thought of was Act in um, Paul in Acts 9 when he, he has this very dramatic conversion. We're told that for three days he neither ate nor drank. So for three days he didn't have anything until the Lord sent somebody to talk to him. So those are the kinds of fasts. Now, I think there's also other kinds of fasts, non-food fasts that I think are legitimate. I think are things that we should consider in our day and age. Non-food fast means abstaining from something, uh, good things, um, normal activities, routines, um, but for a purpose of spiritual purposes. For example, would be things like 
uh, abstaining from such things as TV or movies, abstaining from Netflix, abstaining from Facebook. Yes, you, you can actually go without Facebook. Abstaining from Starbucks or its equivalent in your life. Okay? Abstaining from sleep. Abstaining from sweets, desserts, those kind of pleasure of the palates. Abstaining from alcohol. Abstaining from personal time. You have, you know, I really have a regiment of time, this is my time. Maybe you need to give that up to do something else. Um, abstaining from sex. Abstaining from recreational activities. There's a lot of things we can abstain from. They're good things. They're not bad things by themselves. But we do it with a spiritual purpose. And that's important. That we, we, We're giving up something. Whether it's food or activity in our life, we're giving it up for a spiritual purpose. Just to not eat for the sake of not eating is called weight loss. Okay? It's not fasting, if that's what your purpose is. Okay? Um, so... It's, it's not just giving up food or to deprive ourselves or anything like that. So here's the key. Fasting is not doing this particular thing, eating food, watching Netflix, whatever, so that, in order that, I can do this particular other thing. If, if there's not a swap, you're not Christian fasting. Does that make sense? Just to go without food, doesn't. it's fasting, but it's not the intentionality. The intentionality is when we give up food or we give up an activity, we're then turning our attention to something else and replacing it. The primary thing that you replace it with is prayer. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So you, give, you don't just give up a meal, you do something else during that meal, you pray. Or you give up that activity. We're not going to watch Netflix on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'm making something up now. So that we can... Maybe talk and read our Bibles and pray. That's fasting, is what we mean by fasting. Scriptures includes all kinds. I'm not going to go into a lot of them. There's personal fast by individuals. There's communal fast by groups. There's public and there's private fast. Nobody else knows what's going on. There's public ones. Hey, everybody, we're going to fast now. Um, there's congregational. There's national fast, where the whole either nation of Israel or when Jonah went and preached to Nineveh, Nineveh, everybody fasts, included the animals. They didn't feed the animals. We as a nation are going to all fast and repent. And there's a regular fast routines and there's occasional ones. Now you might say, wait a second, you just said there's public ones and congregational ones and national fast. Didn't Jesus didn't say don't do it so other people know? Isn't that a contradiction? But no, it's not. Because remember what Jesus said. Jesus says don't do it so that you are being seen by other people. How you do your fast to draw attention to yourself is not legitimate. But doing it so other people know other people doing it and other people knowing about it or joining you in that is very legitimate. In fact, the scripture has often is groups of people are fasting together. They have to know. And just for, by the way, just for a simple pragmatic thing, if I choose to go on a fast, particularly a long fast, who is the primary person I should let know out of courtesy? There you go. Okay? No, honey, I'm not eating again tonight. Okay? Um, there needs to be, that's just courtesy. Okay? That's not puffing myself up. That's not being a hypocrite. That's just being courteous. Okay? So um, the point of praying, uh, fasting together is being in united, being, being together in this, not simply to show off, and that's an important part of that. So, so how do we fast? It's not just going without food. So how do we fast? And I, as I did a framework for this this week, it conveniently fell into place. But you guys can't guess what the word's going to be. 
okay? If we're going to fast, there's four parts to a fast. Conveniently, out of divine inspiration, it spells the word fast. I don't know how that happened. Okay. So I'm doing this so that we remember, if we're going to fast as individuals, as families, as a couple, uh, as a church, these four elements have to be there okay, to be a legitimate fast. The first one is focus. That's an S. Focus. Why are we, why are we fasting? What's, what's the purpose? Remember, we're, we're, not, we're not eating, for example, so that we can do this other thing. What is that other thing? What, what are we doing? What is the focus of the fast? Just not eating regularly is not necessarily what we're talking about. Now, I want to, real quick, I want to tell you what three things that are not the purpose, what, what's not the focus. And these, unfortunately, can very creep in out of our sinfulness and our humanness. What, we, we're not fasting to earn God's favor. We don't fast to earn God's favor. God, uh, I'll go without food or this thing, so that, and then you owe me your grace, your love, your mercy, whatever. You owe me. That's not fasting. Another one is to coerce or bribe God. I've actually heard people talk like this. Like, like, you know what, I know this is probably not God's will for me, but if I do this, like fast, it might change his mind. He'll do it anyways. You know, that's called bribery, and it doesn't work. Another one, which is probably even more common, and that is we've, some people fast to inflict self-punishment. They fast to cause themselves pain because they have guilt and shame. And they think somehow by inflicting themselves with pain, they're earning points with God, they're paying for it. And that's not the gospel. That's not why we fast. We, we, we cannot, causing ourselves discomfort in order to pay for our wrongdoing or appease God for our guilt and shame is not the gospel. That's not why we fast. Okay? Let's just be clear on those. What should we focus on? There's numerous things we could focus on. I just want to highlight six. Highlight six, and I'm getting these six from Scripture. If you look, what do the people pray for? What do they, I mean, what do they fast for? What, what, what are the reasons? And there's numerous reasons. I only picked six. What was what, the purpose? What is the focus of people's, in the, both the Old and New Testament, was their focus? First one, is the, the most obvious, is to strengthen prayer. Strengthening of prayer. They focused on their prayer life. Um, fi- uh, fasting is often directly, in fact, I didn't count, but I bet you the majority of the time you hear about fasting, prayer is in the close vicinity, if not directly linked. In fact, Jesus, this in the Sermon on the Mount, says, I want to talk to you about prayer, and oh, by the way, the very next thing out of his mouth is, when you fast, because they just go hand in hand. So in his mind, fasting goes hand in hand. And, and we know, for example, in Ezra, when they were um, they were trying to journey back to the, to the... These are just simple examples out of the Scripture. They were journeying back from the exile back to Jerusalem. And, he, and we read in Ezra that he said, So we fasted and implored our God for this. We prayed, and he listened to our prayers. So we fasted and prayed for this thing to happen. And we read in Acts 13, the church in the, in the city of Antioch. And they said, after, um, Then after fasting and praying... They laid their hands on them, Saul and Barnabas, and sent them off on their missionary journey. Again, my point simply is, fasting and praying was part of church life. They go hand in hand. Um, fasting strengthens prayer. A, a man named Donald Whitney wrote a book, it's a good book, called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, and he says this, Fasting does not change God's hearing of our prayers so much as it changes 
our praying. One of the ways it changes our praying is that, is that fasting is an, is, is an intensifier of our spiritual desire. So he's saying the reason fasting and prayer is often combined because the fasting itself intensifies our desire to pray. Fasting and prayer go hand in hand. So the number one thing that we do when we fast from food or other things is to supplement that time or the effort and attention is with praying about whatever it is we want to pray about. But he gives a, the Bible gives us other examples. So like, uh, fasting to express repentance. To express repentance. When, when Saul and David were killed in the battle, King Saul and his son, excuse me, not David, when King Saul and his son Jonathan were killed in a battle, we're told, and the Philistines took their, found their bodies and mutilated their bodies, some brave men, were told, snuck in and stole the bodies back, and they went and they buried them, and then it says that, um, excuse me, I jumped ahead. Um, let me back up. Fasting to express um, repentance. <laughs> um, um, lost my train of thought here. Oh, anyways, um, in the Old Testament, Sam, this, my problem is some of the stories overlap, so I just got confused by my story. We'll get back to we'll get to back to mutilated Saul in a second. Okay, just leave you hanging there with the body, the imagery of his body being mutilated. Meanwhile. Samuel gathered the people of Israel together and said, we will pray to the Lord. And so they gathered and they drew water and they poured the water on the ground before the Lord and they fasted on that day and said, we have sinned against the Lord. So an act of repentance for the nation of Israel is they gathered water, they dumped it on the ground, which means what? Which means they weren't going to drink it. And they fasted for that day and said, God, we've sinned. They were explaining, intensifying their repentance. Another place in Joel, it says, Yet even now declares the Lord. Now the Lord's talking to them. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting. So the direct thing, you're going to repent, people, Israel? Do it with fasting, um, with weeping and mourning and rending your hearts and not your garments. But this is the reason why. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He calls them to repent in fasting and reminds them that he's that God. At the same time, we read in, in uh, Donald Whitney says in his book that, and this is, is important, that rep- as repentance is changing our mind, resulting in a change of action or behavior. When we say repent, we mean change your mind and change your action. Fasting can represent more than just grief over sin. It also can signal a commitment to obedience and new direction. By the fact that we fast, we do something physical, we are saying, not only, Lord, I grieve over the sin, but I'm willing to take a step of obedience and obey to you to head the other direction. That's what he means. Okay, now to exp- fasting is, to, is um, a prayer to express repentance. It is to express grief. Now we go back to Saul. Okay? The Saul is killed, Jonathan is killed, a bunch of men are killed, their bodies are mutilated by the Philistines. So these men sneak in and steal the bodies back, 
and we're told that they went and they buried them in a specific place, and then they fasted for seven days. So in grief, they fasted for seven days. And then immediately after that, we're told David's response, when he heard that Saul and Jonathan were killed, and then we said that then David took hold of his clothes and he tore them, so did all the men who were with him, and they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and Jonathan his son and the people of the Lord and the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. Since fasting, fasting is like weeping, like crying. It, it means just in a physical expression of the depth of our feelings. And, and it can often accompany uh, prayers uh, during our time of grief. What are some other reasons we are? Uh, interesting that fasting is ex- linked in a number of places in the Bible to expressing love and worship to God. We don't normally think of fasting in that sense, but it is. For example, Anna, the prophetess Anna, is in the temple, we're told. She's an old woman, has resided most of her adult life in the temple or in the temple area. And she didn't, and, and in fact, in Luke 2, um, she's, she's anticipating the return of the coming of the Messiah. And she's praying and praying and praying. And we're told that she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. So she is a person linked, connected fasting with her act of worship to God, anticipating the Messiah. We're also told in the Church of Antioch in Acts 13, it says, while they, the Church of Antioch, while the Church of Antioch were worshiping the Lord and fasting, again, as they together as a congregation were worshiping and fasting together, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And what we know is the great mission movement began in the turning point of the book of Acts when a congregation, as a congregation, spent their time worshiping God and at the same time fasting. It is that, that somehow and that, that fasting is an intensifier. Um, it it um, in, increases our longing and our value of God is amplified when we fast and we pray and we worship God. That's the testimony of Scripture. Another reason is to express concern for the work of God. One of the, one of the stories, a great prayer of the Bible is in Daniel 9, but what's interesting that sets it up is, is Daniel's in the exile, so Israel is really bad. God disciplined them by sending them off to Babylon, and they're in Babylon, and Daniel's there, and he's doing stuff, and it's, we're, we read, and, and Daniel says that during this particular year of a particular king at a particular time, so he's putting a date on it, and this is important, he goes... Um, and I perceived in the books that, of that year, and basically he was reading the book of Jeremiah. He's reading the, the prophet Jeremiah. We know as the book of Jeremiah. So he's reading out of the scroll, and, it's, and he reads, wait a second, we're supposed to be in exile for 70 years. Time's up. Time's up. It's, we've been here 70 years. So what does he do? We're told what he says. He says, when he read this, he says, hey, wait, wait. That's why he names the king specifically, because he put a date to it. And then he goes, Then I turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas of mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And then he prays this awesome prayer. And God says, Okay, time to go back. But he read. And it's interesting. He just read the Bible and then did what he, and responded in fasting and prayer. Nehemiah did the same thing. Nehemiah, they're heading back. He's hearing a bad report of Jerusalem. They went back, but they weren't getting things together. He says, As soon as I heard this... Words, I sat down and wept and mourned these days and continued fasting and praying before the Lord of heaven. So the work of reestablishing Jerusalem was not going well, so Nehemiah fasted and prayed for the work of Jer- and Jerusalem. 
The church in Antioch, as we have already seen, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So these men were called into a very turning point in the church history, a very turning point of ministry. The reason that the, the direct link Luke is making is the church was fasting and praying. The Holy Spirit said, did this. So what do they do? They fast and pray some more, lay their hands on them and send them off. They didn't know what was going to happen. We do now, but they didn't know what was going to happen. But the point is, for the work of the Lord, they fasted and prayed, and God, God answered. And also it's interesting in Acts 14, it says, when they were going around, it says, and when they had appointed elders for, in every church, um, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So as they committed elders to the Lord, they did that, that Lord, you're here to be responsible to shepherd this young church in the middle of nowhere? We're going to pray and fast for you as leaders of the church. And lastly, to uh, the sixth reason is we express it to express our desire and anticipation of the coming of Jesus. Um, the, the disciple, um, this is in a, in a number of places, but the most poignant, which we'll look at in a, a probably couple months, is Matthew 9, um, where the uh, disciples of John come to Jesus and say, why do, you, uh, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? So while, at this particular time, his disciples are eating. They're eating and with tax collectors and sinners. They were feasting all the time. So Jesus, they asked, why, why, we fast. Why don't you fast? Jesus' response is very important. Jesus says to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days, are, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Now, it's easy to miss, over, miss that, to pass over that. Jesus is saying, I'm the bridegroom, and while we're here, we're having a, we're having a premarital um, feast. What do you call that? Rehearsal dinner. Thank you. Thank you. We're having a rehearsal dinner. I'm here. I'm the bridegroom. We're going to do it. But I'm going to leave, which is part of the message of the gospel, which we've talked about, like Easter. The message of the gospel is that Christ did leave. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. That's where he is. And he's coming back. It's part of the message of the gospel. And, but Jesus' words here is really important. He says, but when I go, they didn't quite understand at the time, they will fast. During this time period between, between when I leave and when I return will be marked by my followers fasting. That's, that's now. We live in that age. We live in that time period. He didn't say they might if they get around to it fast. He said, no, no, that's going to be one of the marks of the people waiting for my return. They're fasting and praying for my return. So Jesus connects Christian fasting with our longing for the return of the bridegroom. Fasting is a physical expression of our heart hunger for the second coming of Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. That will be the mark, a mark, not the only one, a mark of those who hunger and thirst for his return. So a focus can be prayer, repentance, grief, love and worship to God, the work of God, and Jesus' return. Well, there's another part. So we, we have a focus. This is why you're going to have a fast, you're going to give up food, whatever, but that's not done. This another thing is you have to have the right attitude. Jesus talks about it. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a poser. Don't be a fake. Don't be an actor. Be sincere. Basically, attitude of humility. It's an attitude of humility. This is not of arrogance. This is not of, of uh, hey, look at me, look what I'm doing. That's what Jesus is trying to say. It is one of humility. In fact, the psalmist is saying, 
A psalmist said in, in Psalm 69, I wept and I humbled my soul with fasting. He said, I, I used fasting to humble my soul, the deepness of my heart. I used fasting to humble myself. Fasting is a way to express our dependence on God for everything. Fasting is a way to acknowledge that we are easily distracted away from God by a lot of other things. Fasting is a way to remind ourselves that we are often self-indulgent. That's why, sometimes why it's hard for us to fast. Jesus tells a story in Luke 18 about the Pharisee and tax collector about praying. And a Pharisee goes in and he's staying in with great pomp and, and with great attention to himself. He prays in front of everybody, like Jesus said, don't do, but he's a Pharisee, so he does. And he says, thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. And he lists a bunch of things, unjust, adulterers, and tax collectors. And then he says, as part of his self-justification, but I fast twice a week. Look at me, and I tithe, and I do all the right things. And Jesus said, but there over in the corner was another man who, who didn't say those things, who, who just beat himself, beat his breast, and said, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that second man got the grace of mercy of God, not the first. And then Jesus gives, what, what's, the big, what's the point of this story, Jesus? And Jesus says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Um, we, we, we need to remember that that's a principle. We might talk a little bit more about that next week. That's a principle. When we exalt ourselves, we make a big deal about ourselves. Oh, God has ways to humble us. But the principle is also equally the opposite, is that if when we intentionally humble ourselves, God will come alongside us and exalt us. And that's with that humility that we tend to, um, uh, is the attitude we, we approach a fast. We have a focus, but we come with it not out of arrogance, but out of humility. Uh, we can often have wrong intentions. I myself have been reminded of this a number of times. Years ago, I used to fast fairly frequently um, and fairly things. And I learned that um, as I was fasting, I would, I would do things. I was working at Xerox at the time, and I would have these different fasts. But the short of it is, fasting became um, a point of achievement for me. Fasting became... Um, a way for me to compete with myself. So what I would do is I would fast, I'd give up certain things, usually eating and, and just drink fluids, and, um, but I would keep extending the times. So next time, this time would be this time, the next time, a few weeks later, is this time of time. My goal was to keep beating my time. Okay? Anything but um, humble. Now, nobody knew I was doing this. Well, Monica knew because I wasn't eating. But, but nobody knew the inner, the, my motivation was very hypocritical. Look at me, I'm praying and fasting. But, but, but I realized that I was just extending it, extending it, extending it. <clears throat> I got it that time, I'm going to do better next time. That's not fasting with humility. I remember I was sharing with, I can't remember who it was, Monica, Selena, I think it was Selena, that... Um, the Lord really got my attention in a weird way during this time in that I'm sitting in my cube at Xerox. Um, I'm into the latter half of a very long fast. Um, and at a certain point when you fast for long times, the hunger does subside. The achy does, doesn't, but the hunger does. And um, I was sitting there in my cube, 
in this giant room with all these other people, and the only thing I could think about was a liverwurst sandwich. I'm telling you, I haven't had liver... Anybody know what liverwurst is anymore? Okay? It's like low-grade, horrible spam. Okay? Uh, but I could not get it out of my mind. I, I was salivating at my desk. No lie. I was just, I, I was just obsessed with getting a liverwurst sandwich. And I even called Monica up and said, hey, can you do me a favor? Oh, yeah, sure. Can you get some liverwurst the next time you're at the store? Because I want to break my fast with a liverwurst sandwich. That she, then she knew I kind of crossed the line at some point, okay? <laughs> and it was during that incident and a couple other incidences like that that I realized, you know what? This, this has become a game for me. And this is not an act out of humility. And so I, I, I had to stop doing that and then change and repent of that and change my attitude. Why do I fast? It's not out of self-competition. Um, then the next one is, is sacrifice. Sacrifice. Um, w- w- what am I going to sacrifice in this fast? This is the hard part. Uh, for it to be a fast, you have to decide um, what, um, what are you going to give up? Or Let me put it this way. Uh, what are you going to sacrifice? It must be uncomfortable or it's not a fast. It, it might mean, mean to be downright painful or it's not a fast. It's not a Christian biblical fast. To give up things you don't care about, I, I can fast baseball for a lot. I can go without watching baseball. It's not, I'm sorry, Kim, okay? But it's not fasting for me, okay? There must be, for it to be legitimate, there must be discomfort. There must be pain. There must be a sacrifice involved. And, And the most common of this is food. And I think that's why food is the primary means of fast. And I recommend that when you think of fasting, that's the primary place you begin, with food. Because food is, it's universal to everyone. And it, it's essential for life, you know. Uh, we realize the importance of food. And, and the hunger pains, the discomfort, are with us wherever we go and whatever we're doing. You, you don't leave it behind. I can fast watching TV, but if I'm not around a TV, it's really not a problem. But when I'm not eating, it goes with me. And I think that's why fasting should be a primary fast, should be that of food. But there's got to be some discomfort. Um, it might seem counterintuitive, but I think that's the way it is. And we can, we can so I would, we should begin regularly when we consider fasting, consider, I'm encouraging you, to begin by thinking of fasting food and then, um, and then move on to um, other things if necessary. Um, but it should, whatever it causes discomfort. If you're going to fast something else other than food, think about things that would cause you discomfort. What activities, routines, or things that you have that, that you could give up that, that that um, would be, man, it just really bothers me that I don't have that or I'm not doing that. Does that make sense? You know what that is. You know, you, you know what that is. And remember, fasting is, is more... I said in the beginning that we're fasting to get God's attention. That's partially true. I think the bigger emphasis of fasting is not to get God's attention. It's to get our attention. It's to get our attention in our fasting. Fasting can expose idols in our hearts. What we value, what we depend on more than God because we're not willing to go without it. 
Fasting can expose areas of resistance in our lives. These are areas we keep to ourselves and we only give God and other people limited access. No, no, you, you can't go there. Fasting is to expose how casual and superficial we are in our walk with Jesus. Really? I'm going to be inconvenienced with my Christian faith? Fasting is a way for us to become aware of what we're not giving up. It's interesting that the next topic that we'll look at next week, and Jesus coming on the Sermon on the Mount, is that he says, after you fast, the next thing I want to talk to you about is, what do you treasure more, the things on earth or the things in heaven? And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's his response to fasting. What else could we or should we fast? What are the activities and routines that keep us preoccupied with life and distracted from God? You, you know what those are in your life. What do, you, what do you submit to again and again to conceal the weakness of your hunger for God? I, I'm really not that hungry for God, and what I do, I do this other activity to conceal that. What about what you are not willing to give up in your life and ask, is it that a barrier for you knowing God and the truth of the gospel more? Okay? What, what are the things, and that's a key, is not just the food, but what are the things that would be a struggle, discomfort for you to give up? For me, abstaining from sushi and Facebook is not fasting. <laughs> I, I don't care for either, in full disclosure. But one recently I've been struggling with, and this is, and remember, fasting isn't get, getting rid of bad things in the life. You need to do that anyways. Fasting is being willing to give up things that are either good or not necessarily sinful, but for, the, for a better good. And I, I read a lot, both because of my job and because I love reading. i got time to do anything, I read. And I've been challenged recently by other people and myself to say, you know what, you need to fast reading. And I read a lot of theology. You need which is a good thing, you need to fast that so you can pray more. Right? So you need to spend less time reading about God and more time talking to God. Does that make sense? That's painful for me. That, that's a discomfort. I, I get jittery if I'm too long in a room and I don't have a book in my hand. Um, that's an issue. There's other issues there too, probably. <laughs> but that's an issue. That's fasting. It's interesting. Monica and I were talking about this week I better be careful how I introduce this. Uh, Paul talks about 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7 about couples and their conjugal rights, a.k.a. sex. And, and Paul says in, 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 that, in, the, in the passage here, I won't go through the whole thing, he says, do not pride one another of sex except for, by arrangement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. So it, it, a legitimate fast is saying, I'm going to give up, into, we as a married couple are going to give up intimacy, and it might not be physical sex, it might be other aspects of intimacy, or relaxation, or entertainment, and we're going to give that up as a couple for a season, so that we can give our attention to prayer and fasting about other things. And the fasting might be of that thing. Does that make sense? So you can be creative in that fasting. You as a couple, or as you as friends, or as a home community, can give up certain things so you can turn your attention to those things. And, and, and there's lots of other things we can do with, with husbands and wives, families, meals. We can give up meals and stuff like that. We need to move on. The last thing is time. This might be kind of like no duh, but I think sometimes it's forget. To say, I'm going to fast for a while and not have an end date, it, it, it's not going to go very well. Okay? The next meal will suddenly be the end date. Okay? 
Um, time. How long are you going to do it? Be specific. Be specific. I'm going to do this for one meal. I'm going to do this for one day. I'm going to do this for three days, a week, a month. You, just, you plug in what's appropriate for you. I recommend you, be, be, if you've never fasted before, begin small and move yourself out. Not for competition, but just, just to work through that. Consider gradually increasing the length. What am, I going to, what am I going to do during that time? What am I going to do during that time? So this is not that. Uh, how long? But during that time. Um, take meal time, your lunch time at work, or your time together at home in, the, in meal time, and actually pray or do something else with that time. Um, um, if, if you're going to fast, going, watching Netflix, uh, an episode a night, or Tuesdays and Thursdays, we're not going to watch any of that stuff. We're going to instead read together and pray together, those kind of things. Uh, Monica and I, for years, pra- fasted every Thursday. And what we, our fast was, we would fast all day until dinner time. So we wouldn't eat anything. We'd drink coffee and water all day. We wouldn't have breakfast, snacks, lunch, anything. And in the evening, we would break our fast together, and we'd have dinner together. And that's, we did that for many years on every Thursday. And every Thursday was a theme, a specific point of prayer. And we used our time, both the discomfort of fasting, but also that time. So this week, we're going to pray for this about the kids or the church or whatever, whatever. And we did that. So that was just a routine of us for a long time. And it wasn't a full all-day fast, but it was a set fast and those kind of things. I would like to show just as, as a summary. I know we need to wrap this up. I want to show as a summary um, a, a clip from John Piper who summarizes what I'm trying to say. shows 
I think that was a, the reason I wanted to show that. I think that was a great summary of what um, I've been trying to say. I want to end by just reminding us of that, that fasting should remind us of the gospel. Fasting should remind us. This is not a do more, be better, try harder message. It's just suck it up, people. We can be really aesthetics and, and, and uh, earn God's favor. It's not it. It's a response, as he says, it's a tool that we use to intensify our desires and our hunger for God. But I think it should, fasting itself, the very act, the very practice, the very discipline, should remind us of the gospel in two ways. And with this, I'm closing. One is, um, to quote a blog I was reading recently, he, sa- he said, fasting like the gospel isn't for the self-sufficient and those who feel that they have it all together. It is for the poor in spirit, for those who mourn, for the meek, for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In other words, fasting is for Christians. The other thing I thought about this week as I was thinking about fasting and these, these emphasis of what they are and how they fit is, and has made me draw my mind to Philippians and Jesus himself coming down and being one of us and dying for our sins. In Philippians 2, Paul says, among other things, he says, have this mind among yourselves. In other words, in other words, I want you to have an attitude, a perspective, a way of thinking among yourselves. And then he describes what that attitude is. And he says this thing. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of them and being found in human form, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And I was thinking about that and praying through that this week. It made me realize that Jesus' whole life, in essence, was a fast, by definition. His life had a focus, to glorify the Father and to demonstrate the Father's love for us by dying for our sins. He had, he had an attitude. The passage says he humbled himself. He humbled himself. That's why he did it. He, he let, let the things of heaven, he gave up heaven, if you will, to take on earth. That's a big fast. That's a, that's a big discomfort to go without. He sacrificed. Not only that going away from heaven and earth, but also the separation from the Father and ultimately the cross itself where he absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf. He didn't deserve it. It wasn't his to take. But he took it. And there was a specific time. He, Jesus, Even though that was determined before God even created the world, he came at a specific time to a specific place to a specific people. And, he, and part of the gospel message is he will return again at a specific time to a specific place to a specific people. And then what is the result of that that we hear? What is the result of that that he says? He goes on, Therefore, because Jesus was willing to, his whole life was a fast, we have the answer to that, that. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The, the fasting, our practice of fasting should remind us of the gospel because of what we get from Christ and it should remind us of the gospel because of Christ's life himself. 
We come to the communion table every week and remind ourselves of those things. His death for us. If you have responded to the gospel message in repentance and faith, then we want to invite you to come up in a few minutes as we sing and we worship to God. We take that. It's interesting that he reminds us through our senses of eating. He reminds us of his dying for us. We get a little bit because of the lot that he gave us. So I want to invite you to worship with the time of, um, of taking communion and maybe going as you go up to tables to prayerfully think, Lord, what would be something, whether it's food or something else, what would be something in my life that, that I could uh, fast in order to not only get your attention, but even more importantly, Lord, that you get my attention through the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. We thank you that they're new not only every day, but every week. We thank you, Lord, for the routines and the disciplines you give us, not for us to earn things or to, uh, to do things, but more importantly, to um, uh, be reminded of our need for you, our dependence on you, and the generosity through the gospel. We thank you in your precious and glorious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.